Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Red Inca. We'll be doing things a bit differently today. And uh, yeah, Jared's still here, but who gives, gives a fuck about Jared? We've got Estelle with us. And you can find her at Estelle Vasudevan. That is her name. And you can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And we are doing this session specifically to talk about the World Cup. This show was made by HCL Tech, a company that believes in partnerships so much you can read their name on the Australian shirts. So South Africa have fallen short once again in the semis. Australia have defeated them and they are into their eighth final in their history. They are, of course, five-time champions and are 8-0 right now and are up against an Indian team, which is 10-0, which is their longest ever streak in ODI cricket. So, Estelle, let's start with you. How do you feel about all of that? Yeah, it's going to be an incredible final, no? I mean, looking at how things have gone, Australia have won eight in a row. I think Sri Lanka can take a lot of credit for that uh, <laughs> because they started it all off uh, eight in a row and India have got 10 in a row so should be a great matchup I think if anyone has a chance of turning over this Indian team you'd have to think uh, it's someone who's been so consistently good over this tournament despite having a bad start so Jared it's interesting uh, Australia have won eight and oh mm-hmm. but you know they've been scrappy right? Mm. India have been relentless. They've been a complete team, as complete a team as we've ever seen. You've mentioned prior, you know, the only other teams that come to mind are 2003 Australia and 2007 Australia, you know. Barring that team, it's probably this Indian team which has looked so, well, not entirely invincible, but that's what the numbers tell you, right? 10-0 and Mm. and they've never won that many ODIs ever before. Can they, like, break the record? Go 11-0? and And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting how it's Australia because the World Test Championship final was with them. And uh, India lost. And it's, it's a nice little narrative that's built up over here with the whole two, 2003 repeat. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? 20 years on, especially we just had the 1999 uh, World Cup semi-final flipped around there with <laughs> a chase of 212, 213-ish. Um, and, uh, and and even a random, uh, the openers getting off to a start in the chase uh, before a random wicket happens. And it, Probably getting a little bit closer to the end, although very disappointing the Australians didn't do a bunch of runouts to make that more exciting <laughs> right at the end. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Estelle's ca- kind of right, isn't she? That like you watch South Africa, and if they've made the final, especially the way they played in this game, there's a part of you that would think India would probably just eat their souls. Whereas even if Australia gets scrappy all the way through to the finals, you just kind of feel, <laughs> well, actually, if you look at their form today, you know, Inglis looked good at times and Mitchell Start looked good at times. And, uh, you know, and, and Travis Head is now the greatest bowler in, in uh, well, he's the new Glenn Phillips. <laughs> and so, you know, like Australia works out ways to win. And to be fair to South Africa, I thought they, they played very well today, but they weren't quite on that level. I don't, I didn't really think anyone's going to beat India anyway, but mm. perhaps, uh, you know, a David Warner, Mitch Marsh, Mitch Stark, Adam Zampa, like attack could at least put, um, uh, you know, throw India off a little bit. So it, it should be a great final. Um, 
I still haven't worked out if we if that was a classic game today or one of the shittest games of cricket I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and it could be both. I don't know. Uh, and, and maybe going back to 20, 1999, I watched it actually recently, the whole game, or as much of it was online. There's about an hour and a half of highlights. Well, there were until some of them were taken down. Uh, uh, free Ro Belinda. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I was watching that and I was like, this actually isn't a very good game. There's some really shit cricket being played here. But so be, it'd be interesting to see in years to come how we look back on this semi final because it was quite interesting. Well, I mean, I had this whole uh, four, you know, pronged theory to, you know, what went wrong for South Africa. It's glaringly obvious as well. You know, 24 for four coming up against uh, Stark and Hazelwood and Stark was looking like Stark of World Cups gone by. You know, that was a proper throwback bowling uh, effort. And, you know, losing those four wickets up front, then, of course, the, the double head strike. Who would have thought, right? Travis the head was head getting strike. what? Yeah, the double head strike. 4.1 or something um, was the angle of his spin or whatever, which was more than Zampa and Maxwell, which was crazy. So there was that uh, little passage of play. And then, of course, uh, head and Warner in the power play. And then those four dropped catches. Now, you know, the whole Steve Waugh, Herschel Gibbs thing, right? That uh, Steve Waugh presumably said that you dropped the World Cup. Well, they had like four chances over here, I think. And also these four mistakes, if they'd just gotten one of those things right, I think they had a shot, right? Like they could have won this game, even if they'd just not lost power play wickets or not, or, you know, the class and Miller partnership would not have been broken, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think if you go back, realistically, they, they won the toss and they wanted to win the toss. And or they'd be dreaming about winning the toss, right? And then you win the toss and you look up and it's a little bit cloudy. And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe for a couple of overs, the ball will nip around a little bit. Mm. The ball was swinging for ages, right? Like, <laughs> it, you know, Hazelwood was still bowling far later into the game. In fact, Kotsia was bowling seam up to mm. Australia in the second innings. And it was still moving off the seam mm -hmm. a little bit. Like, it was ridiculous how long the ball stayed intact and everything. And considering uh, I, I know there'll be a lot of people someone put a comment up on on the on the channel earlier about how um uh this was a situation where uh, uh south africa choked and then it was sports psychologist i'm like south africa came back about nine times in that game yeah. like <laughs> literally they like australia tried to kill them off south africa were yeah. an incredible zombie team mm. and mm. and they kept fighting and they kept coming back i i i think ultimately their their weaknesses probably came out i think I never quite got around to making the video on this, but Marco Janssen has the most power play wickets. And I've watched almost all, I've watched all of Marco Janssen's power play wickets. <laughs> and I've watched all of Matashanka's power play wickets. Matashanka's power play wickets were earned by very good bowling up front. Mm -hmm. Marco Janssen got some trash wickets down the leg side and all sorts of luck happening. And what happened in the last game? There's a little bit of regression to mean a similar thing happened that he was a weak player um, at times for them over the last couple of years suddenly gets to the world cup and he's the greatest player we've ever seen and then in the last two games there's a little bit of a regression right back to me in there and you know even in the fact he made it I, i'd never blame a player for making a golden duck because like chances are it's almost like the most likely that you're going to have is a first ball duck right you walk out mm -hmm. there and you get a good ball and you walk back off but point being is we we worried about him coming into this series he then played brilliantly uh, um, but when it actually mattered, he didn't bowl particularly well. He didn't bat particularly well. Um, and he was a weakness for them. Australia don't really have obvious weaknesses. They just have kind of lots of players who either are past it or are, um, are not in great form. And, and so 
I thought South Africa did great to keep pulling themselves back into a game of which, to be fair, they should have been out of probably uh, by the first rain break, right? Yeah. Estelle, you want to add anything? Those um, mishaps, the dropped catches in particular, was that like something which, you know, it hit really hard. Why are they dropping catches? Why is South Africa doing that? And even we had a hint of rain in this game. So that was bad juju right there. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I felt like it was, they fielded really well and also really badly at the same time because it (laughs) seemed to create a few chances because they were quick to the ball. Um, So it was a weird one, but Overall, I feel, again, Australia is a team which has kind of changed their fortunes with their fielding, right? Even today, the fielding up front was really good. Um, so South Africa could have really kind of snatched a win out of nowhere if they had held on to the chances. But at the end of the day, they didn't really put enough runs on the board to uh, to really, really create pressure because Australia were able to go at like two runs and over right mm. and still win the game so yeah cruise control was all that was required but Jared it's interesting how you know you mentioned that they were a zombie team I love that 24 for 4 you've been wrecked by Stark and Hazelwood who have bowled marathon spells up front mm. 7 and 6 which is it's quite crazy when you come to think of it and then you know Klassen and Miller they team up and uh, that's one partnership and then there's just one other partnership the Kodzia and Miller one of course David Miller's 100 goes in vain and uh, we've all talked about how good a four-year spell he had, averaging 60 or something in the in-between World Cups, which is mm-hmm. quite crazy. So his best innings probably of his life under that sort of pressure. And like you said, they didn't choke, right? That is the opposite of choking, what David Miller did. He no, literally I mean, dug them out of a trench. Yeah, and, and I think, was it the highest score by a South African in a knockout? Um, I don't know if it was a uh, champion trophy as well, but certainly in the World Cup, mm-hmm. um, I think it was the highest score. It was a magnificent innings, really. And and Cla- you go back to Klaassen. So so they lose all those wickets up front, right? And it's pretty much game over. Um, and Australia certainly went for the kill at that point in a way that other teams wouldn't have, right? Like other teams probably would have changed it. And they were like, no, 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 no. Stark, keep bowling. Just keep bowling if you can. Hazelwood, how many more you've got in you? And I know there was a rain break, so it wasn't about being tired, but it was a very interesting mm-hmm. pattern. Um, and they come back from that and then no one was expecting, I mean, Travis Head, the start of Travis Head's spell might as well have been one of us bowling, right? Like it was absolute <laughs> dog shit. And, you know, you watch that and if I'm Clarkson and I've hit him for two fours, why would I think he's suddenly about to rip one sideways? <laughs> then Marco comes out first ball, gets stung. As I said, these things happen in cricket. That's fine. So they've actually had two collapses in that innings, hmm. which is, even more remarkable that they kept pulling themselves back. And and then you go to the batting, and you've, oh, sorry, well, they're bowling, and you've got Warner and Head trying to ed, end South Africa as a nation, mm. from what I could tell, not just in this <laughs> in this tournament, right? Uh, and again, that's the third time in the game, and, and you can count the fact that they only made 200-odd as well, but that's the third clear time in the game that Australia's just like, you, you're done. Nick off. Mm. This is... These finals, they're not for you. This is this is for the real teams, right? Come back when come back when you're you know are ready one day. But um, and yet they just kept fighting back. And the odds, so at one stage I think South Africa were fourteen to one, and Australia were like one point zero three or something, hmm. right? So basically unbackable, right? You, you, literally, you'd be better off, um, you know, um, trading your money for a magic bean than than betting on Australia at that point. And yet. They kept finding a way to come back in. You know, the pressure on Steve Smith and Manus was really, and part of that is Steve Smith and Manus's fault, right? 
you know, um, go, you know, attacking um, the players, having close infielders and everything else. The Cotilla spell uh, to Inglis, right? Even the Cotilla spell to, to Smith, which is the same spell, but I'm now separating them. But, mm. you know, all those sorts of things, they just kept working their way back in to a game that realistically, we, it could have been finished for three hours. They could have been bowled out for 150 mm. and Head could have just chased that down on his own, right? Like, <laughs> I, I thought it was a magnificent effort at losing a World Cup semifinal if such a thing exists. <laughs> uh, one thing that we've spoken about a lot, you and I, Jared, and uh, Estelle, I want your take on this as well, is that when we look at Australia as a side, right, they've got that top order firing. You've got Travis Head, David Warner, Mitchell Marsh, they all kind of play the same way. And then the days when Maxwell comes off, it's a different side altogether. But you've got holes over there, right? Uh, Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, Josh Inglis, there's not the same kind of trust over there. So even though, you know, the guys in the top order, like Jared said, Head and Warner were trying to end South Africa as a nation. <laughs> there is some glaring issues over there in the middle, and that could potentially be an area of weakness in the final. Yeah, I think you can argue they kind of choked today, right? Because mm-hmm. that middle order, I mean, the way, particularly I think the way Labuschagne and uh, Smith got out, they did not need to play those shots or play them in, in that situation. Um but they did. So there's definitely, I think, on confidence, they are probably really low. Um, Maxwell has had, had that. And like you said, when he comes off, there's no one who can stop him. But they mm-hmm. definitely have that issue there where if you can get if you can get those top three cheaply, um, particularly because they seem to score their runs quickly. So even today, by the 15th over, I think all, all three were back in the pavilion, right? So... Mm-hmm you still have time to kind of come back into the game, even if they do get off to a, a reasonably good start. Just on Smith, you talked about the shot he didn't need to play. Um, I thought Marnus just batted himself into a hole and then uh, he missed a reverse sweep. I don't think it was a horrendous cricket shot or anything, but it was because he was only playing one shot, which was the turn to the leg side. They put a leg slip in and he literally didn't have any other options at that point, right? So it wasn't the end. Of, it wasn't like Mike Gatting's shot or anything, although Mike Gatting's wasn't that bad either, but you two are too young to be there for that. But um, not Estelle. She's actually 60. She just pretends to be young. But <laughs> um, but what I wanted to ask both of you is, what was the worst shot today? Quinton de Kock or Steve Smith? Glenn Maxwell, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, Glenn Maxwell he... Maxwell. He's supposed to mm. be that. I mean, because Quinton Cox is one of the worst shots I've ever seen. Like, literally, I've never been so angry at someone I've never met before. Like, I just, I was furious at the stupidity of that shot. But Steve Smith had just been knocking the ball around and knocking the ball around. And suddenly he's just like, I'm going to just swipe a pull from out here on a full ball for no reason. It's such a bizarre moment um, to have yeah. happen. At least with the Maxwell, or sorry, the Quinton de Kock one, of course, they're very similar to Kock and Smith's dismissals. I can understand the frustration. You know, they weren't getting any runs. They were like, what, eight uh, runs after six overs, something like that. It was, it was wild. Like in the first nine overs, I think they had like 15 or 16, something oh, like that. Dreadful. Yeah. Absolutely dreadful. So yeah. I, I can understand I that. where that came from, yeah. uh, you know, that shot came from by Quinton de Kock. But Steve Smith didn't need to do that. You just no. needed to literally nudge it away for singles and win the game. So I don't know where that came out from. And yeah, that's, I'd say Smith's was worse. Interesting. I, I think Quinton's mm. is worse as an actual <laughs> shot. But I think that Smith is stupider in the situation. Estelle, final final vote? Yeah, I'd go with Smith as well. Because like you yeah. said, he didn't need to do that. And he didn't he didn't give any indication that he was trying to attack before that either, right? 
I mean, he hmm. was playing out maidens uh, of Shamsi and Maharaj. So, this is a strange decision. Yeah. Um, so, we spoke about, you know, the one issue with the middle order and how Australia kind of joked. But there's another issue, or there was another issue, right, in the build-up of this game, was that Australia were heavily reliant on Adam Zampa for wickets. And now that's one big piece of the puzzle solved because the pace attack delivered. And Zampa didn't even get any wickets today. You know, Travis Head was Australia's best spinner. But uh, even the figures will... Even though the figures will show that Cummins has three and Hazelwood has two, those two wickets were bigger. Hazelwood's performance, I think, is bigger. And uh, Mitch Stark in this kind of form, going into a World Cup final, Australia have got to feel good about that. I mean, how much does it depend on the fact that the Kolkata clouds were there? Because mm. I haven't seen him swing the ball like that for that long. I've seen him swing it more, but for a couple of balls. But I don't think I've seen him swing it that long for a while. Two new balls are fine as long as they're under the Kolkata clouds. Yeah, That's exactly. Where we're at now. That's yeah. all we needed was, was some cloud. Um, but look, I, I don't think that matters because now that Mitch Stark isn't um, uh, praying for reverse swing later on with the one ball anymore, now that he can bowl properly, um, yeah, I, I think it's impossible not to get a little bit of confidence from that, right? Like even if even if he knows it was assisted by uh, um, and everything else. And he looked like he was a little bit low on confidence. So they're not going to beat India without new ball wickets, I wouldn't think, um, the way that they play. Um, you know, they don't have, at least if South Africa d- didn't get new ball wickets, they had five frontline bowlers where Australia doesn't even have that, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, so I think they're going to need new ball wickets. So they're probably going to need Stark to be in a good uh, frame of mind. And he should be, right? Also, you know, he was there at the end. Did he hit the winning runs? Was it him that hit the floor at the end? Was it coming? Comments. Yeah. Comments. Okay. Well, they, should have let, they should have let him do that as well then. That was stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean. How can you even question Pat Cummins at this point? It all started with the Edge Baston test. Then it was that partnership with Glenn Maxwell. And now he's literally finished a World Cup semi-final versus South Africa of all teams. This I can is make like it better. If I'm not mistaken, he was batting ahead of Stark in all formats of the game up until the Headingley test. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It, might have been, it might have moved a test or two beforehand. But he'd been batting ahead of him for ages. And Stark... Stark just kept getting not outs behind him, right? Mm. And eventually they swapped. From the moment they swapped, Pat Cummins has gone back to batting like someone who should be ahead of Stark. And I love every minute of that. Yeah. Estelle, uh, would you be surprised if Australia, if they win this World Cup, it's Pat Cummins with the winning runs at this point? <laughs> yeah, no surprise. Especially the way he ended it today. I mean, everyone in the in the commentary box was talking about which fielder they're going to clear and which, you know, how they're going to get a boundary. But he just calmly kind of cut it behind square and uh, it's a boundary for him. So, I mean, I would be very surprised if Australia won the World Cup, <laughs> but not so much if Pat Cummins hit the winning runs. Yeah, if the stars are to align, that's the only way they do right for Australia. Let's talk about South Africa's bowlers a bit as well. I mean, they bowled pretty well. I've been fanboying hard over Gerald Kodzia, all World Cup. And he is still one of my favorite or the favorite breakout star, even though I think Rachin had a better tournament. But I just like Kodzia more. I don't know. It's something about the guy. And uh, one of four bowlers to get 20 wickets in this World Cup. His bowling average of 19.8 is the best average for any non-Indian bowler in this World Cup. And his strike rate is second only to Mohammad Shami's. So, unless you're counting Rohit Sharma, because Rohit Sharma's strike, <laughs> strike rate is probably the best at this point. So, yeah, I mean, that is as good a World Cup as you could have hoped for coming into, you know, your first ever World Cup. Yeah, I mean, well, they would have wanted Anrik Nokia, right? Like, that would have been mm. plan A yeah. to have. Uh, and I don't think he's as good a bowler as Anrik Nokia at the moment, although mm. Anrik Nokia's been struggling with injuries and lost a little bit of form. But uh, I think Anrik Nokia is a. a, a incredibly special talent 
and Kutsia can do most of the things that Nokia can do. Maybe not quite as good at the death. Um, mm. And probably can't bowl with a new ball as well, right? But the majority, he can bowl fast and he'll hit the yeah. middle of the pitch and he scares people. And he um, he's certainly very wholehearted in the way that Nokia is. Um, uh, he clocked 150. Know. I saw Kutsia clock 150. Yeah, he's not as fast, is he? Let's be honest. Hmm. Okay, he's ridiculous. Consistently, he's not consistently as fast. Yeah, I mean, Mark, uh, Mark Wood and Okay are probably the two fastest bowlers in the world, yeah. right? Um, up, you know, uh, over the last couple of years. So, look, I think, uh, um, I think it's really interesting that he did well. Uh, not probably. I was, I think, for South Africa, he needed to get wickets early, so he ends up getting the wickets that keep them alive in the contest. But he comes on around the tenth over mark, um, and I think if he got a couple of wickets there. It could have actually changed the uh, whole shape of the game. Uh, but, look, he did it with an old ball. As I said, I, I really like the way he went about it uh, with uh, with Inglis. He should have got Inglis caught behind or caught it slip about five times, I reckon. I, <laughs> it's, it's weird that Inglis has grown up in Western Australia and plays spinners like he he's, um, you know, it's his thing. And someone bowls short um, at his chest and suddenly it looks like he's never seen that before. Like, I mean, he must... He must have faced these. If you go up West Australia, I assume you face your first bouncer at four, right? Like mm. li- literally, people are just pinging the ball at your head at a very young age, and he doesn't look like he's particularly good at it. But no, look, he had a magnificent World Cup. As I said, Marco Janssen probably slipped back a little bit. Tavares Shamsi bowled beautifully today. Mm. Maharaj had a really good World Cup. Um, Rabada probably just went for too many runs. This is—it's funny. So many people kept telling me they don't need Ngidi. They don't need Ngidi. I tell you what, today. They definitely needed Ngidi in about three different situations just because he can pull those those things back a little bit more and because he's a different kind of bowler. Um, but I, I thought that I, I thought their bowlers did gave them every opportunity. Not to mention Aiden Markram, which was mm. like what a star turn that was. Uh, yeah, like, they basically not used him all tournament. And then you're just like, you mind bowling while Australia's pouring kerosene on us in the power play <laughs> and just seeing how you go, right? Um, I thought that was fantastic. He had fire in his eyes when he got David Warner out. You know that was that was a real good World Cup moment for me. But the guy who probably impressed me the most throughout, um, barring Kozia, of course, because I'll, I'll remain a fanboy and I think that English dismissal dismissal is right up there. You know, mm. set him up for a short delivery, went for the Yorker, loved that stuff, right? And very few bowlers I've seen who have uh, you know kept things mixed that in that regard because you know guys like Harris Rowe were consistently short. But you've got to hit that Yorker every now and then. And Kodzia has a good one, right? But coming to uh, Keshav Baharaj is the other guy who really impressed me throughout, you know. You guys, you guys might be surprised to know that he's had the same amount of success as Kuldeep Yadav in this World Cup. And the numbers are almost identical. I have them right up over here in front of me. Kuldeep edges, edges out uh, Maharaj on average, uh, which is both like 24, so 24 point something and 24 point something. Maharaj is the better economy and both of the economies are in four. And in strike rate, Kuldeep beats Maharaj by like one point. So Maharaj is 35, Kuldeep is 34. So, you know, he's bought some worldies. Estelle, you in particular would appreciate that coming from the land of spin. How good was he all tournament? And uh, he's the number one bowler too, I believe, in ODI cricket now. Yeah, it's crazy how he's made that transition from being like someone who they considered completely red ball uh, Mm. to doing so well in white ball cricket, right? And it's funny because today I felt like he should have been maybe used earlier, particularly mm. the way the wicket was playing. But obviously, Babuma had uh, different ideas. In the end, just the fact that he wasn't able to pick up wickets after the first one uh, really 
I mean, that hurt them because Shamsi was kind of looking yeah. the more dangerous mm. bowler. Um, whereas he was keeping the runs down. But in that chase, it didn't really matter uh, bowling economically. So I guess in that sense, if, you, if you're comparing him with Kuldeep, maybe that is the the thing that sets him apart is that Kuldeep may go for more runs, but is is a bit more of an attacking option than Maharaj. Yeah, mm. I mean, Kuldeep could probably make something happen on a pitch where there isn't much there. Um, and, yeah. and as most finger spinners, which, you know, it's not Maharaj's fault, but generally they default to being a little bit more defensive, don't they? But yeah. it is, it was really fascinating. I know a lot of people said that Maharaj should have bowled earlier, but it's like, they brought Markram on and that worked. And then they brought Shamsi on early, which they probably normally wouldn't have done, right? They probably usually would have gone to Maharaj, but I think the left-hander was at the crease, so they went with Shamsi. Um, but that also worked. Like, he bowled really well um, also. It, you know, so I don't think Bavuma made any mistakes. It's just that looking back on it, um, uh, even he didn't understand probably... Because if you remember in the Australian innings, the ball didn't seem to spin for a while. And then a little while later, it started to spin. And the Markram thing was like, is not accidental but you know uh, <laughs> uh, uh you know well, well probably my guess is that if they were going to have it as a plan he would have bowled in the first five overs and instead it was just <laughs> well we yeah. don't want one of our frontline spinners coming on now let's just give the ball to markham and hope they run down the wicket and hit the ball straight up in the air um but again it's funny that there were people in the chat saying to me oh what a mistake bavuma made by not bringing on maharaj earlier and i was like he literally changed the game with the Markram decision, which almost no one would have made. Yeah, no, the plan, it was all planned, right? It was, Aiden, you're going to bowl in the power play and have the depth. That's your role for today, of course. A- Aiden, you're going to bowl in the power play when Australia is already about 80 runs after five overs. <laughs> and and Rabat has just been hit out of the attack and you're just going to come on, take Warner's wicket, and then, yeah, we'll, and then again at the death, we'll bring you back on. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the Temba thing because I'm also part of a lot of WhatsApp groups that discuss cricket. And this was a common theme. A lot of people were pissed at Temba and uh, as captain as well. A lot of people I know are of the opinion that he shouldn't be captain and Markham should be captain. I think Gautam Gambhir has this opinion as well, unsurprisingly. Um, But going into the future now, right? Uh, Where is South African cricket? Because Quentin McCock is gone. So a big chunk of your success his runs up top, and he was a run accumulator at this point. He took calculated risks, Quinton. Today, not, not so today. much, but otherwise, <laughs> not today. Today was uncalculated risks, right? But he's gone, and goodbye, Quinton. Thanks for your services or whatever. But Teba Bavuma is not a popular captain, and South Africa are going to need a new opener, so Riza comes in. And then, yeah, Klassen's old, right? He's not on the right side of... 30, or maybe he is, maybe he's 32 or something, but he looks older. <laughs> and who else do they have? Rassi. Aiden Markram. Yeah, Rassi's there. Rassi's also 32, 30, 33, somewhere around yeah. there. David Miller also, he's old. Yeah, they've got heaps of older players. Even, um, what's his name? Who's the backup player? Um, Reza. Reza's yeah, old. Riley Riley's old. He's not in yeah. the squad, but Riley Rousseau is old. They have a couple of younger players that they can turn to, obviously. Duol Brevis has played like a handful of games in list A mm. cricket, but they can certainly bring him in. But the question is, like, how quickly do you move off these players when the Champions Trophy is in two years? So do you just go, no one gives a shit about the Champions Trophy, which is the right um, way of thinking about life, um, and move on and, and think about the World Cup in four years' time and worry about the T20 World Cups and all these sorts of things? Or um, uh, do you go, well, actually, we've got a pretty good core of players and, you know, if in... in Two years' time, Marco Janssen's going to be a better all-rounder and probably won't get smashed out of the attack and everything. Mm. Um, 
you know, maybe we can find someone else um, that will come through as well. And, and one, and maybe someone like Dewell Brevis will come in, um, in into that uh, lineup as, uh, also. I don't, I don't really know where you go. I, I felt this way about kind of most teams. Sri Lanka, weirdly, is one of the few. We just like, well, it doesn't matter. They're all young. So just you just roll it back out there. Bangladesh, maybe a couple of the older players will leave, but they've got a really young core as well. Um, but, you know, teams like Pakistan, um, New Zealand, South Africa, I'm like, Surely the best thing is to rebuild, uh, but that does mean chances are that you won't be a you won't be a, a contender to win the Champions Trophy. It doesn't mean that you won't play some good cricket in it, but you probably won't be a, a contender to win. And I don't know what the correct way of thinking about that is. Yeah, it's interesting. I just checked. So Klassen is thirty four and uh, sorry thirty two, and then Rassi and uh, what's the other guy? Rassi and uh, David Miller. They're also thirty four. So next World Cup, maybe you got one of these three guys, and then. There is a uh, baby AB, Dewald Brevis, and Tristan Stubbs. So yeah, they've got a lot of really good there. young players coming yeah. through. So I, I don't think that. But the problem is, it's like the the batting isn't the reason they failed today, right? Like mm-hmm. so, even Temba, Temba's been fine, and actually, probably by the Champions Trophy, I don't know how old he is, but he could still be the opening batter, and probably will go back straight after this World Cup and have a fuckers a like moment and make bunches of mm-hmm. runs everywhere again. Um, and, uh, but they've got other players as well that they could bring in. But it's just whether, certainly the Rassi uh, and Miller are, are the two. We just like, M- Miller might retire. So that might actually solve your problem. Rassi, I just, mm. Rassi's such a late bloomer. I'd be shocked if he retired, if we're being yeah. honest, especially because he's not going to get as many offers in T20 cricket. Hmm. We've got a super chat actually. I just checked. You want to take that? Yash Palmer. I'll put it on the screen. Can you not see? Oh, it? you did. Oh, there it is. Uh, okay. So Yash Palmer <laughs> asked, Coincidence, World Test Championship finalists made it to the ODI final? I think not so much, actually. It kind of goes on to show you that they're operating at a level where they are the two best teams in the longer formats, I would say. And England was there in this conversation in ODI cricket, obviously. But when you take them out, Australia was the most likeliest candidate, I would say, if you'd have to just guess what the final would be if England weren't playing. So, yeah, I think it kind of makes sense. Checks out. Hmm. Well, who who are the best four test playing nations at the moment? Who do we think? Australia and well, India, mm-hmm. England, and who's yeah, who's the sure. fourth best at the moment? Because not New else, Zealand anymore. It's not, uh, New Zealand. not Pakistan. Um, uh, I mean, South the fourth, Africa at home. I mean, South Africa might be. South Africa is actually yeah. kind of rubbish in, in test mm. cricket as well. But yeah. um, that maybe they're the fourth best. So perhaps there's mm. there's a part of that. Um, I, I mean, I think Australia is. I suppose they won the World Test Championship. Um, yeah, I, look, I think it's interesting. I wouldn't take too much into it, though. Um, like, for instance, would you wouldn't make that comment if um, uh, Stark ran out, Cummins and, and Zamper and, and Hazelwood went out, right? Like, and yet you could still make the, the case that you know that that Australia is um, is the second best team, and if they got uh, uh, booted out. So, look, I get I get the point, and and look talent still matters in cricket, mm. right? So if you have those players, and that was something that Australia did a couple of years ago. They went the opposite way of England. Uh, they mm. used to not play Hazelwood um, in one-day cricket. And eventually, uh, Hazelwood just went, I want to play limited overs cricket, and then you know developed himself. I don't know if you mm. can develop yourself. Um, certainly hard if you're a role of film. But, um, you know, and, and they went the other way and leaned back in on their test bowlers uh, quite heavily. Um, certainly from the from the the seam bowling options, um, but at the same time, I think 
what you're talking about is really, really talented cricketers. And these two teams have a lot of talented cricketers who are good at all three formats, right? And if you have cricketers who are good at all three formats, they're probably going to help you more than like a uh, cricketers who are just good at one format might not be of the overall talent uh, mm. level. Uh, but I, I think know. I think the multi-format thing is actually quite interesting because if you just look at this from a narrative perspective, right? India being there already fits the narrative because it's the home World Cup. They have the best team there, 10-0, all of that stuff. But Australia, you know, have been their most, uh, you know, stern rivals, you could say, over the last decade. So there's that entire thing happening. Then, of course, the World Test Championship final. And also the fact that, you know, most of this Australian team played that World Test Championship final. Your Pat Cummins, David Warners, Travis Heads. You know, I think 8 out of 11, is it, if I'm not wrong? So I think that also adds to the narrative. And I think it's fun. This makes it interesting. What do you say, Estelle? Yeah, also, I mean, does resource also come into play? Because if you look at 50 over World Cups uh, over the past decade, how many finals have one of those three teams made? England, Australia, or India? Probably 80 to 90%, right? So I when think was the last time they weren't one of those weren't, teams? Yeah. Weren't is it? I can't remember. I don't. Has there ever been a time when Australia, India, and England have not been in a World Cup final? Am I missing one? No, I think you. Oh yeah, India, West Indies. That's it. Yeah, but that's still India. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's still India. But it, <laughs> it's probably India before they're India, though. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So yeah. you could argue for that one, right? But yeah. otherwise, even in, you know. So I, I, I think Estelle's got a fair point there that you know mm. resources matter and. It, how different mm. is it than, I don't know, Argentina, Germany, Brazil, or I don't know anything about football, but those, you know, or Spain or whatever, whoever, whichever team you want to throw in there. Like, at, at the end of the day, the best teams are probably most likely to be successful, like, consistently, aren't they, Estelle? Like, like for instance, when Sri Lanka got really good between, what, 2008 and 2014, uh, what did Sri Lanka cricket do to make ensure that that carried on? Whereas look at what England have done to make sure mm. that, team is successful for as long as possible and look what india does like sri lanka cricket literally said um well you've got a jacket with a logo on it what more do you want (laughs) yeah well i'll counter that actually so we're we're still in this and i would say that the resource thing still kind of kind of comes into picture because you know structure comes with resources as well and you know all three of these countries have that solid structure which allows them to churn out quality players and give them the best kind of exposure not every team out there gets the best kind of exposure, right? I mean, yeah, look who, at Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Look at us. <laughs> well, I just think that looking back on it, it'd be interesting to get your view on this, Estelle, because I think looking back on it, Sri Lanka had a golden era. And I just don't think anyone in Sri Lanka cricket realized that it was a golden era, realized that it might finish and worked out what to do next, other than the fact that, I don't know, was it St. Trinity's and Thomas's or whatever? Or maybe they'd come up with another great, young batter who would come do you know what i mean like <laughs> that's not that's not the the best method look look at what the, the other teams have tried to do and, and there is a big mm. difference between that and look th- there's not much you can do if you know if kusul mendes is your best batter in a generation you're probably not going to be a fantastic cricket team right you're not probably not going to be able to beat in india right if and that's no disrespect to kusul mendes but he's not quite on that level but at the same time i just you know, watching Pakistan. Um, Pakistan's a perfect example of, we know the talent is there. It's just that the whole thing is run by a chicken farm if mm-hmm. the chickens were running the farm. 
and the chickens got like double dose of steroids or something because they're crazy out here right um let's move on to the other semi final i think we've spoken a lot about uh, south africa and australia so it's time to go to india new zealand and before we get to india let's just quickly talk about new zealand right so should we have a break point, first Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know where Anchor had a break. You're supposed to tell me these things. Let's go get a, uh, take a break, and then we'll be back with the next uh, semifinal. Everything has a break. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how I watch so much cricket? I use VPNs to log into accounts from all around the world. But because before, even simple things, like when something exciting would happen in a match, I would rush over to social media, and when I got there, the clips would say something along the lines of, this video is not available in your area. In fact, most of the coolest cricket stuff in the world at the moment is geo-blocked because some random board didn't sign a deal where you happen to live. If you're a hardcore cricket nerd, the only way is to have a VPN. And we suggest Surfshark. They will give you the speed of your favorite quick bowler. They're as inventive as a T20 batter after a bunch of dot balls. And they're as secure as a specialist wicketkeeper with the softest hands in the world. And guess what? The kind folks at Surfshark are going to give you a deal. Enter the promo code Kimba for an extra three months free at surfshark.deals forward slash Kimba. There are probably other things that Surfshark can help you with, like data and identity theft and traceability and intrusive advertising. But for us, it is our best weapon against the evil cricket geoblock. Go to Surfshark and type my name in K-I-M-B-E-R and get three months free today. Welcome back to the Red Inca. You are with Bairam, Jared and Estelle. And we're moving towards India and New Zealand. New Zealand first. And at one point in that game, you know, only at one point, it seemed like New Zealand were in with a sniff when Kane and Daryl Mitchell, you know, they made New Zealand believe because they needed, what, 185 runs in 19 overs, if I'm not wrong. And they had wickets in hand. But, uh, of course, you know, uh, that Shami over happened. He got those two breakthroughs first, Kane. And then I think he got Tom Latham right after and uh, yeah, by the time Glenn Phillips was hitting those sixes, the game was done. But you've got to give it to New Zealand. They really gave it a proper fight, Daryl Mitchell and Kane in particular. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at it, in my opinion, I know we, we, we say that New Zealand had a chance. But I think that was a very, very slim chance because chasing 400 to sustain that level of, I mean, that rate of scoring was always going to be tough. And add to that, you have someone like Boomra bowling in the death, right? Uh, if you have to score 12 runs an over for four of his overs, I mean, across like eight overs, that's, mm. I mean, I find it hard to imagine how any team can do that. So uh, they were in, I think they gave India a scare because they, mm. they certainly looked like they were made to think for maybe the first time in the tournament mm. about, you know, what, what needs to be done. But, uh, it was very much kind of within their control because, as I said, like sustaining that level of that rate of scoring was always going to be tough unless it rained, like in the Pakistan-New Zealand mm. game. That 400 total was always going to be, I mean, mm. just beyond their reach. No? Well, yeah, I mean, it's I, interesting. I think the, 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 the thing for me, though, is that we saw India be challenged and not immediately just wipe out the challenge, right? Mm. Like they couldn't get the wicket. I know that there was the drop by Shami, for instance, but Siraj, like when they were bowling wide, they didn't even seem to be agreeing as a team on that strategy. Virat was looking around going, why are we doing this? Siraj then couldn't hit a wide Yorker. Um, and, you know, and then they, they couldn't get the field right. They finally got the field right and he bowls the worst ball possible next one. Um, so in some ways, it's probably good for India that they had a challenge in a way that, as Estelle said, they were probably not going to lose the game, right? Mm. So they got, 
it, it, you know, it's a bit like your, your parents kicking you up the backside for having a dirty room rather than your parents kicking you up the backside because you crashed the car into a river, right? Like, you still get the shock because your parents are having a go at you. But at the end of the day, you're just like, well, if I pick up seven pieces of clothing off this floor, it will be passable enough that they won't be angry anymore, right? Um, basing this on all my conversations with my son. But so, so I do think there is, um, uh, you know, I think there's something in that that maybe makes them better. But if you're Australia, you'd be like, well, Cool Deep, uh, we've seen Cool Deep a couple of times because it's interesting that he has the same figures as Maharaj because at one stage in this tournament, Cool Deep was probably the best spinner in this tournament. And by the yeah. end, he has slipped back a, a little bit, not not to a bad level, of course. The um, Maharaj so level. Yeah. Well, Maharaj <laughs> probably got better as the tournament went on mm-hmm. and Cool Deep probably got worse, right? Um, but yeah, you, you, look, you look at the way that these two teams uh, have, have played um, and, and you say, you'd say t- um, if you're Australia, well, okay, they're clearly playing better than us and they're probably a better team than us. But when the pressure was put on, eh, maybe, maybe there's something there. Uh, I mean, Australia's just not as It's the whole thing. Someone, someone sent me an email saying, you know, it, and New Zealand only lost by 70 runs. I was like, <laughs> that's a lot of runs to lose a one-day international by. That's like 17% of the total that they didn't chase, right? But the point is, what else are we clutching at in this tournament? We're still talking about Mitch Marsh getting hit in the nuts by that Virat Kohli drop um, mm-hmm. and the fact that New Zealand got six wickets against them in the, in the first game. They haven't really been tested. And I think it's a good thing for India that they got tested in a way that wasn't going to matter to them, I suppose, in the long run. I think it's really interesting that Daryl Mitchell is the only batter, if I'm not wrong, to score 100 versus India in this World Cup. And he's done it twice. And, uh, you know, given how much Daryl Mitchell sweats, and Jared is obsessed with this, it's funny how he also made India sweat a little. Hey. Just a little. <laughs> yeah, but did you notice when India was sweating, it wasn't just leaking off their head while they were tapping their bat <laughs> in the crease. He's, look, I love Daryl Mitchell, and I love that fact <laughs> about him. But I actually, I worry for him. I don't think you should be sweating that much as a human hmm. being, unless you're wearing Matt Hayden's suit and hat. Yeah, well, he got a standing ovation from the Vanke Day and that's definitely going to stick with him forever. You remember he mentioned how he was watching the previous World Cup on his sofa or something, right? On his couch. That That's a story as well. And he's not even the only centurion for the day of New Zealand. Tim Saudi got there. And uh, Saudi, obviously, on his last legs and uh, had Matt Henry been there, he wouldn't have even played. Even, I guess, at this point, in hindsight, there's a case to be made that maybe they should have played Kyle Jameson. But the way India were batting, that probably wouldn't have changed much. And uh, Trent Bolt as well as, you know, he's not just of age, but he has that whole contract situation with New Zealand cricket. So their future also seems all of a bit, all of a sudden a bit uncertain because this was a golden generation that gave New Zealand a lot of, you know, laurels over, over the years. Got them a title as well in the form of a World Test Championship. But they were a really, really good World Cup team. Now they'll have to probably go through a rebuild and this puts them in an interesting position. Yeah, I don't know really what I would do with them. It's a bit like the South Africa thing. I think I mentioned them when I was talking about South Africa before because Southie goes, obviously. Williamson's probably mm-hmm. never going to play another one day. Um, well, I don't think he's going to stick around to the Champions Trophy unless, unless you know, he, he's desperate to continue to play one day cricket, but I wouldn't if I was him. Um, as you said, Bolt maybe is just around in a couple of years. He seems to be improving as a white ball bowler, so maybe he just sticks around. Um even some of their better batters are older, although I think, unlike mm. South Africa, a few of them will be around in that next generation. Um, mm. And that next crop of Chapman, Phillips, haven't really developed mm. the way that they would want them to. Um, yeah. I, but re- maybe Ravindra is so good that, you know, um, 
uh, he jumps that, and they will. Um, the Beast will be back, and Michael Bracewell will be fit again. Mm. Uh, you know, certainly for the T Twenty World Cup, we hope. Uh, but yeah, again, like a lot of people have said, this is the end of the Golden Generation. But I think the Golden Generation actually finished when when uh, Ross Taylor retires. Um, and what you're seeing now really is that they've got they're sort of a mix of some older players and some younger players. But they were, I mean. I don't know how you two feel, but I, I sort of have India as tier, a tier or S tier, really. Mm. And then Australia and South Africa, probably, um, you know, A tier. I probably have South Africa, uh, New Zealand on their own in that tier below before you get mm. to, you know, Pakistan, Afghanistan, England. And then, you know, obviously Sri Lanka was below all the other tiers. But um, just wanted to see if I could annoy yourself there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's not like New Zealand were, were dog shit or anything, uh, but it's also, if they'd won this game, they probably still wouldn't have won the final because I don't mm. think they're a good enough team to beat the other three teams twice in a row. Um, and and that was the thing, you know, you look you look at this over and over again, and you find and you go, well, what team did they beat that was um, that was better than them in this World Cup? And it's probably no one. And mm. if they'd beaten Pakistan, they would have also beaten all the teams that they were better than as well. So I think they're they're me they're, they're in the middle, but. Maybe Bracewell comes through. Um, you know, Kyle Jamieson should still develop into a better player in the future. But again, like South Africa, are these players going to fully commit to one-day cricket? Yeah, and uh, they have this uh, thing, you know, they keep producing um, or plugging holes in the batting quite consistently in limited overs cricket. Like, you get your Devin Conways and Daryl Mitchells, even though these guys are, like, closer to 30 and everything. But they seem to have a system in which there's a ready-made player that can give them a couple of years. So I'm not too afraid with the batting. But I don't know about the bowling attack because I feel like this is an extension of that same gold, golden generation in a way. And, of course, this is not a New Zealand team that, which is better than 2015 or 2019. Those teams were much better. But now, going into the future, and Estelle, I think it's interesting because Sri Lanka went through something of their, uh, similar to this of their own, right? When Sangha and Mahela retired and there was all like a gulf all of a sudden. Do you see New Zealand going through a similar gulf in top-level talent? It's hard, to, it's hard to say that with a team like New Zealand, right? Because as you mentioned, they seem to kind of keep finding players and they really do have those... Um, you know, players they are extremely dependent on. Maybe Kane Williamson is one of them. But Sri Lanka was very dependent on Sangakara, Mahela, Dilshani in that ODI team. Um, so New Zealand don't really have that dependence on any one or two players. I think also it'll be interesting to see with both New Zealand and South Africa. I would imagine given that next year we have a T20 World Cup coming up, there won't be much ODI cricket. So then how does that transition happen? That'll be interesting to see because you generally see most players playing both T20 cricket and ODI cricket. Um, so whether they want to hold on till 2025, uh, if they want to do that, will they get, and if they want to do that, will they get enough game time in between? All of those will be, you know, questions to answer. Thankfully, Sri Lanka didn't qualify. So uh, no problems there for them. Uh, Sri Lanka didn't yeah. qualify and Pakistan's not playing another ODI till November 2024. So there you have it. <laughs> so much for playing time. Anyway, we have a super chat. Jitha Rangachari says, India have been flogging Australia home and away for the last five, six years. India is in the Australian team's head, not the other way around. If India were facing New Zealand in the final, would it would worry me more. Well, I mean, India is the better team. So Australia winning would be an upset at this point for sure. But... Yeah. What you're getting at, the whole historical thing, India lost to Australia in 2015. 
and uh, very recently they lost the World Test Championship final. That's the one. That, like yeah. literally, if if India was in Australia's head, they wouldn't have won the last trophy that they went up against <laughs> each other in. Like that's a, a, a it's a bizarre comment. I think India's been a better team than Australia. For, uh, certainly, mm. a more consistent team um, uh, than Australia in, in a very uh, you know over the last little while. But um, if you look at the last three years, I just brought the record up in all three formats. Um, I think they've played 20, I don't know, there might be a draw in there as well, uh, but they've played 23 times. Does that sound right? I think that's hmm. right. Sorry. Australia sorry. defeat them twice in an ODI series in India. That's also a thing okay. to take note of. Yeah, 25 games. Australia won 10, India won 13. There was two draws. Um, and Australia won a test match in India, which to be honest, considering how much, how much better India is than Australia, um, in home, in, especially in their home conditions, uh, was mm-hmm. an absolute won the World Test Championship. India's not in Australia's head. India's a better team and is playing better and is more well-rounded, but they're not in Australia's head. That's just absolute nonsense. Yeah, yeah but also, like, in this question, it says they would, pre- I mean, New Zealand would be a tougher opponent, right? But that's only because they've beaten them in a World Cup. So, mm. I mean, mm. if you take that into context, or the nightmares come from the semi-final losses, right? So, yeah. uh, I mean, Australia in big tournaments, it hasn't been a flogging in, in in any sense of the word. I mean, Jita, think about 2003, right? That's the only time we've seen India play Australia in a World Cup final. So, I don't know if, if that thing is true. It could be true in many different ways. I'm not <laughs> saying it is true in any way, but it could be in many different ways. Aditya Badal says, am I right that Shamsi didn't bowl enough googlies? Hmm. It's not his main delivery. Um, yeah. A little bit like, uh, oh, there's another bowler, another wrist spinner I've forgotten now. Um, it, yeah, it's not something that he bowls all that much. So it's uh, a little bit different than some of the other limited overs uh, wrist spinners out there. He doesn't really try and deceive you uh, with the one that spins the other way. Generally, he kind of has one more that slides uh, through and then one that spins away. But yeah, it's. I, I think because he's a wrist spinner, people expect the wrong and more often. But if you go back through his highlights, you won't see many wickets to wrong ones. And uh, I think he'd be... I'm pretty sure I've talked to him about this before. I, th- I think he'd be pretty honest and say it's not his strength and so he doesn't lean on it. Um, but yeah, it's it, that's more surprising uh, just because most wrist spinners who are successful have it. Um, but when you're a left-arm wrist spinner, all you need to really do is land the ball regularly because it's so weird because um, there's so few of them. So I looked this up a couple of years ago and it's more or less true now that um, uh, it's less than 1% of professional deliveries uh, bowled by left-arm wrist spinners. And when you look up the numbers, it's mm-hmm. like always like a handful of the same guys. So it's like Michael Rippon, uh, Kuldeep Yadav, uh, Tabray Shamsi, uh, Jake Lintot is another one. Like, And there's, uh, oh, um, and the, the, the Sri Lanka one, um, Lakshan. Yeah. yeah, right? All those same guys. So even if one of them, like Michael Rippon or Lakshan, disappears for a little while, right? They're still in the database and then they usually get picked again anyway. So they come back in the database. You don't get a new left arm wrist spinner because there's no new ones. It's just that every now and again, and like Michael Rippon like is like playing for the Netherlands. Then he's playing like domestic cricket in South Africa. Then he's playing domestic cricket in New Zealand because you can't kill this thing because there aren't any others that you can get to replace it. It's a really, really weird skill. Um, uh, uh, Wakar, Salim Kiel and Nua Ahmed, uh, the other two that are on that list as well. And they just, keep cycling through and then occasionally a franchise will get them in t20 cricket and, and and it's there's so few of them out there that they don't need as many and this is the same as all left-arm bowlers that's why left-arm bowlers outside of harass really didn't have a dusra 
It's because if you're bowling a thumb spin, you've got such an advantage anyway that the idea that you need more of an advantage doesn't really work. But that's a very nerdy um, answer there. But um, uh, thank you to Aditya for allowing me to nerd out. Oh, he's asked another one. Let's oh just attend this question before we go to India, which everyone I'm sure is waiting for. In that case, why is he better? Why is he better than off spinners? He's just an attacking bowler, right? Yeah, well, wrist spinners are better than finger spinners. Mm. I mean, if you if you want the truth, uh, so yes. wrist spinners and finger spinners are very different. Oh, you guys are in trouble. I found a ball on my desk. Um, essentially, the main difference is that finger spinners get side spin impart side spin on the ball, and wrist spinners in, um, have a combination of side spin and overspin. And what that does is, you know, when we talk about wrist spinners getting, uh, being more attacking, a lot of the thing is that they are attacking usually one of the edges, either inside or outside, in his case, inside edge, but he's also getting overspin on the ball. And that means that hit the ball is dropping quicker and then bouncing higher than what a finger spinner will get. It's very hard for a finger spinner to put a lot of overspin on the ball the same way that wrist spinners do. And then wrist spinners put more revolutions on the ball. So, it's it's not that he's any different than an off spinner, but the thing is, if you're a professional cricketer, you have faced literally thousands of different off spinners between the age of six and whenever you first play professional cricket. Left arm wrist spinners, if you face 10 that have bowled more than 10 deliveries to you, it means you're related to a left arm wrist spinner, right? So how do you practice against that? It's not just that the ball's spinning back in, it's a different angle completely to an off spinner. And then you've got the dip, and the bounce and everything else. And then usually, um, left arm wrist spinners have very good wrong ones. Shamsi is a little, little bit different. Um, and it's harder to pick because the angles of the hands are different than wrist, uh, than right arm wrist spinners and everything else. Anyway, I'm putting the ball down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Revolutions on the Ball with Jared 101. Uh, anyway, we still have India to talk about. And uh, Estelle, I'm going to take this too. Yeah. Estelle, I'm going to take this to you first. Of course, Jared and I did an entire podcast on Mohammed Shami, right? So, before we even get to the batting, I think we have to discuss him up front. 7 for 57 in a World Cup semi-final. He has 23 wickets in this World Cup at an average of 9. And he is striking at better than once every 11 deliveries, which is insane. In World Cup history now, he has 54 wickets you know, in 17 innings. And he is the quickest to that landmark. It's incredible that he was on the bench. And now he is one of India's main strike forces and... Well, if you look at the numbers, he is India's best ever strike force in ODI cricket because he has, what, the second best strike rate after start for best. bowlers with almost... Oh, now he's yeah. best? Best, yeah. Best ever strike rate in ODI history for bowlers with a minimum of 120 wickets, I think. It's a lot of wickets, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, your thoughts on Shami? Yeah, he's been incredible. And I think what's set India apart from their usual campaigns as well is that like you mentioned, he didn't play the first couple of games. Mm. And then they decided they needed to be a bit more fearless, right? And go with that five-bowler option. Yeah, given that Jadija does offer something with the bat. Um, and that I think that that mentality also translates to the bowlers, right? That uh, uh, attacking intent. And Shami's coming, I mean... In a sense, his job also gets easier when he's coming in after Bumrah and Siraj have delivered with mm. the opening uh, spells, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he's been incredible. Like the numbers themselves are pretty staggering, I would say. Average of nine, picked up the most number of wickets in what, six games, right? In comparison to everyone else who's probably played eight or nine. So incredible. And it's it's really good to see because he's... It also sets a standard for other teams, right? When you think about Indian conditions, they play um, 
you're thinking of playing maybe three spinners. You're never thinking of playing three quicks. But um, India have kind of been brave with that, and it's it's really paid off for them. Just on what Estelle was saying there, it was interesting. So she said they chose to be attacking, and I think a lot of people will say, "Well, Hardy got injured, so they brought Shami in, right?" Which makes sense. But they actually could have um, done something quite different, right? They could have moved Jadeja further up the order and got him mm -hmm. to bat at number six. They could have had Ashwin and, and um, Shadul um, further down the order at seven and eight and, and, you know, gone in with that sort of way, giving themselves six bowling options. And the fact that in some ways, she's right, they chose the attacking option, but also that it was kind of an accident, right? Because mm -hmm. they would have gone with Hardik um, if Hardik had been around. And I still think this team would be better if Hardik was in it because you would then play him in Sky's role um, and then mm. when you wouldn't need Virat Kohli to bowl, right? Which is a crime against nature, but <laughs> let's just go with it for a minute. Um, but the other thing is, it's interesting. I think that there, certainly there have been times when he has benefited from the fact that he comes on to bowl after Jasper Pumrah, and that is very, very handy. But I don't think we've ever seen a bowler be able to take as many wickets from first change outside of perhaps peak Alan Donald um, uh, back when he used to bowl first change. And yes, there's two new balls, so the balls are a little bit later, but he's not getting the brand new ball. So he's still getting balls that are a little bit older, and yet he's making them absolutely talk. And, you know, th there's that one of the many, many conspiracies about this World Cup, of course, is the idea that India have got a better ball than everyone else. And it's like, if that was the case, like, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre claim anyway. But if that was the case, why is Shami moving the ball more than even Boomerah and Siraj is at the time? Is he getting his own special ball on top of the other two? Is he getting a special, special ball? Like, at a certain point, you just have to say that the skill level that he has to be able to get the movement he does from first change. How many bowlers, look, Tim Southey, if he doesn't have the brand new ball, again, looks like I'm bowling out there, right? Like, it, there's a lot, a lot of very good bowlers in this World Cup. If they haven't bowled in the first six overs, have been absolute pants. And yet the best bowler in this World Cup is, oh, I don't need the new ball. Just give it to Siraj. He's a good kid. He'll, <laughs> give him a go. If it doesn't work, I'll come on and take a seven foot and it'll all be fine. Yeah, I think what both of you guys, you know, the points that you brought up, they kind of you know, uh, come together really well because, yes, the skill is there. Of course, the skill is there. He is one of the best bowlers ever to attack the stumps in ODI cricket in particular. And then Estelle mentioned how he has Bumrah and Siraj, and Bumrah in particular, because he builds up the pressure. So it does enable him to be a bigger strike force coming in after that spell. And, uh, yeah, he's got the skill to match it. So it's a great sort of concoction that India have got with their base bowlers. Oh, I'll yeah. yeah, just from a ditch. Yeah, so he says, so is Nathan Lyon the equivalent of Shamsi? This just to go back to the nerdish thing of before of the top spin on the ball because Nathan Lyon bowls with more top spin. He's not the same for two reasons. One, he's an off spinner and everyone has grown up bowling uh, facing off spin and they would have faced someone who bowls top spin uh, with off, off spin before. But also, finger spinners just do not put the same kind of revolutions on the ball and it doesn't drop in the same way as wrist spin. Plus, he's bowling with a different arm. So it's, it's not similar in that way. Um, and you've got another one from your man. Jita Rangachari says, no, the team has beaten India and Austra Australia and Australia twice in a row at least. Obviously, India are the stronger team, but there is no mental block, so to speak. Which but I don't think, did any of us say that India had a mental block with Australia? Mm -hmm. We never said that at all. We said that Australia was the stronger team out of... I think, Jita, you yeah. said that Australia have a mental block. And then to kind of explain to you why that's not the case, alternatives were presented. No one ever said India has a mental block. 
No, everyone. <laughs> we said India's a better team. <laughs> everyone here except for Bayram, who's obviously, um, uh, you know, is biased against India because of, yeah, uh, I run a uh, Pakistani propaganda over here. I think that's yeah. well established. Um, mm. No, we all think, all three of us, and anyone with a human brain um, thinks <laughs> that India is the better team and that they should be destroyer. But of the four, sem- of the three semi-finalists to play India, we would think that Australia is the most dangerous team all around um, in the way that they play. And you know, if if you uh, New Zealand's a fine team, but they don't have the kind of weapons that Australia has. Um, at, you know, put it this way, you know, that if, if you look at Australia, there are four players in Warner, Head, Maxwell, um, and Marsh who have the ability to score 160 to 180 and really change a game, right? New Zealand don't have that at the moment, right? They have a couple of really, really good players and they have players who can make big scores, but not at the speeds that the Australian players can. And it, also the same with the bowlers, right? Like even if you say Stark's out of, out of form, Stark is a proper strike weapon when it works as we saw in this game. Tim Southey is just not that anymore, right? Hmm. It's a very different kind of proposition between those teams. And as we said, South Africa has their own issues um, in, in their team. Like put it this way, like who would think they'd be able to chase anything over 140 in a World Cup final? <laughs> so at best, even if you think South Africa is a better all-round team than Australia, you're not going to back them to chase any any runs. So they're half a team, right? That's all we're saying. Thank you for the super chats. We will keep taking your money, but you need to listen to what we're saying. We never said that um, India has a mental block. We, you said that India always slog Australia. And I looked up the last 25 games. Australia has won 10 and India has won 13. And the last final, these two teams played against each other. If you want to do the last two finals, as, as Bayram said, but 2015 doesn't really matter anymore. But... Australia has won over them. Australia is not going to have a mental block because they're playing India, like in a way that Pakistan might because they're mm. playing India or you know yeah. other teams who haven't beaten teams might have. Australia's not going to have a mental block playing India. They're going to be like, how do we beat India? Because they don't seem to have any weaknesses. That's a very different argument. But if you want to give us another super chat, we will take it. <laughs> in fact, I'd say if there's any one team who might not have a mental block at all, it might be Australia because they've actually given them a great run for their money. He's <laughs> back. Love Baron's podcast and ball by ball, ball Twitter. There we go. No, we're, that's, we're on the I same mean, team. I'm sorry. Today. Let's get this off the screen. We're not having any positive about <laughs> Bayram. Uh, yeah, idea. it's not allowed over here. Anyway, we were speaking about India's bowling and Mohammed Shami, but uh, one other big reason for their success is their batting. And uh, shout out to Shayan. He pointed this out that now all of India's top five, the minimum average over their batting average in their careers is 49. And that's Rohit Sharma, which is even more bizarre. And for Indian batters who have scored a minimum of 2,000 runs in ODI cricket, five of the top six play in this team. They are the top five, which is, you know, you, you come to think of it and that's just uh, unprecedented. Yeah, I, I went through the numbers to try and find another team who had it. So 2007 Australia, who to be fair, if this, this Indian team isn't the best team of all time, 2007 Australian team probably is. They had four of the top 15 batting averages of all time, but they didn't have number one and two and like, number six or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? They had, I think they had number one, maybe one further down, and then they had 14 and 15. Mm. And that was a fantastic team as well. I'm not taking anything away from that 2017. But we haven't seen anything like this before. We've never seen a team at a World Cup have so many of the players with the best batting average of all time. Uh, you, I think, in fact, you two, I think both of you, the late last piece that we put up uh, in the emailer and on, on the main channel was like a combination of your two ideas. Um, uh, uh, that I think that the both of you came up with, which is, you know, uh, 
how do you how the hell do you beat India? And then look at India's batting lineup and how well it is made for each position. So I'm trying to think of another team. Um, you know, uh, so so Sri Lanka and Afghanistan, they are both burgeoning batting lineups. And you look at their batters and you go, ah, oh, there's some interesting players coming through. They're young. We'll wonder what will happen over the next couple of years. But a lot of the Sri Lankan players play at the exact same pace as each other. And a lot of the um, Afghanistan players play at the exact same pace as each other. That's not a problem now because the team, any, any wins a win, right? Uh, right, Estelle, at this stage, they'll take, they'll take them all. But when you get to be a, a genuine semi-final chance, that's when you want one attacking opener and one anchor opener. And you want n- one number three who can maybe score a little bit in the power play, but then can stretch his innings out quite long. Then you want your number four to be really good against spin. Then you want your number five to probably be able to back up the number three and the number four, but also smash the ball around a little bit, right? You, w- you want that sort of different skill sets that you, that you have on all these different plays. And then you want number six who's like David Miller or Joss Butler who can go, mm. you know, crazy bananas uh, when you need it. And you have that. Right. And they have that even without Hardik in the side, which would strengthen this a- anymore. And so it's all good having, if they had six anchors, you'd be like, well, you know, wh- how are they ever going to do anything? But it's the, the mixing, the matching that they have, I think is absolutely great. And if, if you want to see a team that doesn't have that, it's Australia, who's about to play mm-hmm. them in the final, who Inglis, Marsh, and Manus may all be the same person at this point. Like they all play <laughs> a very, very similar role. And, it, and it's like, luckily, they've got Maxwell to sort of mix that up and maybe Mitch Marsh on the other end to, to, to balance it out a little bit. But that's not a perfect situation. You don't really want Manus and Steve Smith to be in the side at the same time. But Australia's decided that they're just better than everyone else. Whereas India, it's even fallen. You know, it's, it's like, it, you know, those people that um, uh, put a bed sheet on and it just falls pr- properly. And you're just like, well, it's t- I, even I, I could spend 10 years and I couldn't put a bed sheet on properly. And this person just done something with their wrists and it's gone on. And and I think that is what the Indian batting lineup is. It's not just that they're all averaging 50. It's that they all fulfill very different roles in the team. And it means mm-hmm. that, okay, Mohamed Shami is the worst number eight in, in, in the World Cup. And not even Estelle could argue that Shamira is worse than him. He just can't bat, right? <laughs> um, and But th- how do you get to that, right? It's it's just impossible. It's like seeing a million dollars at the bottom of 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 the of of the of an ice block in 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 the North Pole, right? Like I can see the million dollars, but it's mm-hmm. going to cost me ten million dollars to chip down and get that money. That is the Indian batting lineup, or, or a really good heater, you know, something of the sort of a hot piece of coal. That's what I would do if I were to get to that million dollars. But it's interesting, right? Uh, you mentioned how Australia's batting compares to India's. And Australia have those holes, that non-existent middle order, which can't even accelerate. And if you take Maxwell out, it's really, you know, it's a dire situation. But India, I think a big chunk or a big reason, sorry, why they function the way they function, the batting order at least, is because of Rohit Sharma's evolution. Now, it's talked about a lot, but over the last two years, the way he's prioritized power play bashing over run accumulation. And this is a, not just some regular run accumulation. He is arguably one of the best at it. He has three double hundreds in ODI cricket, right? So Rohit's power play bashing, I feel, along with, you know, Gill's calculated aggression, I would say it's risk-free for most of the time, risk-free stroke play, but he does take a handful of risks. And when it comes off, even when it doesn't seem like it's come off, he's ended up with 80 of 66, right? And that 
having that opening pair allows Virat Kohli to anchor, to go into cruise control and do what he does best. And yeah, I mean, uh, he got his 50th done at the Wanke Day, broke Sachin's record of ODI hundreds with Sachin in the stands. He was blowing kisses back and forth with his wife. It was one of those big World Cup magic moments, right? That we've ever seen with, in, for India, you know, barring Dhoni's six and of course Kapil's moments, this is another big one. Yeah, absolutely. I think just um, you mentioned about him being able to play that role. I think also it matters that all six of them, even the anchors, are able to kind of start clearing the boundary once they hit a certain mark, which is, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, for someone who follows Sri Lanka cricket, that's one of the biggest problems, right? I knew you were going to bring that up. The minute you said that, I was like, you know, that's just bitter (laughs) because the Sri Lankans can anchor, but they cannot hit an anchor. They they can't, they can't get, they can't do the next part of the job, right? Which is to kind of go after bowling. So even if Kohli's anchoring and he's got a 80 of 100 deliveries, he can then hit the accelerator and score 120 of 95 right um and that's that's been a big part of their success i think a lot of also credit to Shreyas Iyer who's been mm. kind of amazing monstrous, at uh, number monstrous four, right? straight sixes those are straight sixes <laughs> out of hell yeah because i mean looking back as recently as the asia cup there were still doubts as to whether they <laughs> should play Shadkishan ahead of him right and to come in and to perform like he has in this World Cup, it's it's been fantastic. Yeah, forget like Asia Cup. I know in the World Cup, there were, you know, some apprehensions that should he be the number four when Hardik wasn't injured, when people were having the sky discussion. But, you know, 105 off 70 deliveries. And I love how that top three of India's allows guys like KL Rahul, Shriya Sire and Surya Kumar Yadav to just come out and go berserk. Again, those straight sixes. I think he had the longest six as well till a certain point. I think someone, maybe Darren Mitchell, Mitchell, Mitchell went past overtaken. by a meter, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he hit the Wankhede roof, which is crazy. But sure, aside, you know, back-to-back hundreds and his fourth consecutive score of 50-plus in this tournament. He's the reason why India's top five batters are now, have they have a minimum average of 49 because he's the one who's taken that jump, right? And in these conditions, Jared, he's just top drawer. He's, he's S-tier. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that uh, it's a bit like the Kale Rahul thing, looking back on it, where it's like, everyone was like, oh, you know, you can't handle the pressure and you shouldn't be on the side and all this. And you're just like, hmm. what What teams in the world would Shreya Sire and Kale Rahul not be f- first picked in, right? So I'm not saying they'd be the first first name, but what team would they not be in this in the top six automatically? Because Aiden Markham's been incredible. Not sure you would pick Aiden Markram over Shreya Sire, right? Or KL Rahul, right? It's not not to say that um, you wouldn't you wouldn't try and move some of those players around and everything else. Like Rassi van der Dussen is not pushing one of those other guys out, even though he's got an incredible record because he bats slower than them. It's th- th- this reminds me of what would happen in under Australia, where Australia got so good you'd be like, oh, this guy only averages forty three. How can we even continue to pick him? And every other team's like, if we could only find someone who could average 43, we'd beat Australia, right? And and people start to nitpick at what is fantastic cricketers. And th- that is, I'm lucky enough or unlucky enough, depending on how you look at it, to live through that once. And it's incredible to be able to see it again. And I would love to go back to like West Indies 1982 
and just be like, oh, you know, the, the, the problem with Sylvester Clark is he only bowls 92 miles an hour, right? Whereas Colin Croft bowls 93 miles an hour. Like that's, that's the level you get to when you are that dominant. And the fact that there was any argument, and I think you know how I felt about this, Baron, the whole number four thing. I was like, mm-hmm. so the problem with India is you're saying they don't have any number fours. Literally, they have two world-class number fours. Their biggest choice here is whether they want Shreyas or Kyle Rahul at number four. The problem isn't that they don't have a number four, right? And The problem and, is they have two. Yeah, exactly. They don't know <laughs> where to put both of them. And, and again, I, I think Kyle Rahul is a player who can bat at number five, and I think that suits him. And I don't think that would suit Treyas Iyer as much no. um, in that role. And I still think, you know, Kyle Rahul's never going to be an absolute elite player. Um, he's probably just below that that tier. But as you said, Trace Iyer might be an S-tier level player. Mm. Uh, eventually, he's going to have to play a lot more outside of India, face a lot more short balls mm-hmm. in lots of different situations. We all know that, right? But that doesn't mean that he can't develop those skills and might be able to get to that level. But if he's batting at number four in one-day cricket, I'm not saying he won't ever face bounces, because he will, but he's certainly going to be in a situation where the vast majority of his job is playing spin. And... I well, the the numbers currently say that he's the best player who's been in ODI cricket in in the last twenty years. It's only nine hundred runs. There's been some fantastic players of spin out there, and perhaps um, you know uh, he he will dip a little bit. But watching him play, I don't know. Outside of Peak Mahela, I'm not sure there's anyone I would prefer to be facing. Um, you know, a spinner in 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 a limited overs cricket who can manipulate, dominate. And just not get out to their best balls. Like, really, ne- next level talent when it comes to playing spin. Mm-hmm. Let's take these super chats because we've got two more. And then oh. we'll probably call it night after that. But, uh, yeah, there's some good ones over here. I've got Jeetha one on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so, Jared, would you consider an Ashwin-Siraj swap? I mean, nah. I would think you? they need three seamers um, mm. in case one bowler goes off at the death. I mean, it's probably not going to be Boomer. And the way Sh- Shami's bowling, it may not matter. Um, but also, you might want a seam and a bowl bounces in the middle. The only reason I would swap is if we you, you get to the final and it's just like, well, spin is the absolute best option. And I think at that stage, uh, it makes a lot of sense to to make that change. But no. But Ashwin comes in and they strengthen their batting again. And at least Shami doesn't have to bat at eight, which would break my heart, if I'm being honest. But I don't want Shami to open the bowling. So no, Siraj plays. Shrikant K, do pitches deteriorate in the course of a single day's play or is it an illusion? I felt that Eden wicket... Oh, sorry. I did I that too, didn't I? That was my fault. Yeah. I felt that the Eden Gardens wicket turned a lot more when Australia batted. We've seen that though, that the ball is taking a lot of turn in the second innings at, in Kolkata. So we saw it in the England-Pakistan game. Is that possibly because Pakistan spinners... Um, uh, look i mean travis had turned one four degrees didn't he and he's a part-time spinner so uh, i I mean i think you're right more or less um but i looked at the numbers before and they were a little bit warped by pakistan spinners Mm. but coming into that game in in the first innings spinners were averaging 50 and in the second innings, spinners were averaging 20 so i don't know what it is about kolkata and the conditions because it seems counterintuitive that that would be the case but um, I, I think I think Shrikanth, you're right, but I'm not sure 100. percent If you know, w- I don't really know what that means. Hmm. Last one. All right, make an argument for Australia winning the World Cup. Ah, this is a great uh, note to end this um, red inker on, and uh, I'll go first because I've actually got a theory. Not a theory, but I have a roadmap for Australia winning the final. Right? They get power play wickets versus India. They have to get both Rohit and Virat early, regardless of 
whether they bat first or they bowl first. If you do not get Rohit or Virat early, one of them is going to go big and you will ultimately lose. And then, of course, you have to hope that Warner, Head and Mitch Marsh, two of those three guys, they fire up top. I think it's absolutely imperative. And if they don't, then you're relying on Maxwell or one of the other guys to just kind of anchor. But if Maxwell has a good day, that puts Australia in good stead. So, yeah, there isn't a lot of chances that all of these things are going to hit, but that's what they need to do. What about I you guys? I think the only thing is if they, if they bowl first, right? This is thing. Okay. I'm going to go the I other way. Like Make yeah. your case. Make your case. Lay yeah, it out. I, yeah. So, my theory is that and I, for the record, also agreed with Sri Lanka's call to chase uh, in that <laughs> game where they were bowled up for 55. I think the best chance of beating India is kind of bowling them out for about 250, 260. Uh, of course, then you have to be picking up wickets early um, and trying to get to that number eight better. Because with a chase, if you have a decent top order and you're able to get over that you know, first 10 to 15 overs where the ball is going to move, then there is a chance that you could chase, but not 350, right? You're going Mm -hmm. to have to put a ceiling on that, like maybe maximum 280. I think that's the best chance to beat them. I don't see them losing if they're chasing, to be honest. See, I I see the opposite because I think if you bowl them out for 260, their bowlers are so good that if they get any wickets early on, they can put so much pressure on you. Also, don't necessarily think Australia's very good at chasing, as hmm. today might have suggested. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I certainly thought that before today as well. But I, I haven't, I haven't had my mind changed after today. Um, I, so I thought the opposite. I thought you bat first, and you hope that it's you know one of those decent batting first wickets that we've seen at times in this World Cup. And insert name of Maxwell Marsh, Warner, or Head just has one, right? And you know Head makes one hundred and twenty off. 65 balls or something or you know, Maxwell plays his innings or Mitch Marsh makes 160 off of uh, 110 balls or whatever it may be and you get to a point where even even though Boomerang is going to be bowling at the death you're not under any pressure so you can milk him a little bit at six or seven runs and over um you you attack Shami at the end and and hopefully don't lose seven wickets <laughs> um uh to him you know and, and go about it that way the only issue I would have with that is I think if it's going to be that kind of wicket um, the Indian spinners will get to bowl uh, on probably a surface that will help them a little bit more. And I don't know if Australia can do that. But if it is, you know, Marsh just comes out and slog sweeps everything or, you know, Warner um, has one of his days. Um, I think that is their best chance. That What what Bayram said, I think, is the most logical, right? Which is how I thought New Zealand would have to beat them, which is uh, you take two or three wickets in the first 15 overs, you probably then bowl short maybe after that and, and try and buy a wicket in the middle and hope you know your spinner or your part-time spinner gets a wicket. And then, as you said, um, Estelle, you get to that number eight you know, by the 35th over and you can put some pressure on them that way. I think that's the most logical way. It's just that I find it very hard to believe to th- that anyone could take six wickets in the first 35 mm-hmm. overs against India the way they're playing right now. Yeah. Um, whereas there's a part of me that thinks that we, we just saw, what, what did New Zealand end up on? 330, 320? 27, something? I think, something yeah. like that. So, it, and we saw the way Daryl Mitchell played. You know, Mitch Marsh is another big dude who takes a big step mm. down the wicket. I, I know they're slightly different batters and everything else. Um, although they're both Western Australian, aren't they? Is it? I mean, mm. we haven't said this, but Daryl Mitchell's basically Australian. We don't talk about this enough, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Um, but do you know what I mean? Maybe there's something in that. 
and and you get someone who can put pressure on the spinners by having a big forward step, or it's just Travis Head playing one of those kamikaze innings. I just think that that to me makes the most sense. But realistically, the most the, the best chance of beating India is telling them that the the you know that the final is being played at Wankhede, um, and then turning up at mm-hmm. Ahmedabad. Right, like yeah. literally, <laughs> or, you know, I'm deflating the tires on their bus or timed out. This is timed out. She's done. Yeah, it. nailed it. A, yeah. Ten timed outs. Now, definitely bad first for me as well because it just seems more doable if Australia, you know, if they could somehow get to 300, and if two of those three guys fire, Head Marsh and uh, Warner, then you would assume that they would get at least close to 300 or over 300. And then, like I said, bat first or second, you got to get Rohit and Kohli because if Rohit goes bonkers at the start, then the run rate already takes a hit. After that, mm. all they need to do is cruise control. And all of those guys, their entire batting lineup is, you know, that is a walk in the path for them. And that allows Kohli to do Kohli. So if you get Rohit early, that puts pressure on Kohli. And then if you get Kohli early, then even if you're defending, what, 280, this will be a tough chase for India in a World Cup final because that's a lot of pressure. It's the largest stadium in the world. You've got a what, one hundred twenty thousand Indian supporters, something like that. There's a lot. Of, there's going to be a lot of people there, isn't there? Um, mm. There might be more Indian supporters in the ground than New Zealand's. Uh, New Zealand does actually exist. Is is, <laughs> is, is my guess. Uh, one last super chat, and then we've got to go. But thank you so mm-hmm. much. For, this is the. Uh, we will do more of these um, mm. in, in the future, as I won't always make Bayram and Estelle stay up to midnight, or not well past midnight, to do it with me. <laughs> Okay, so IHTY says, love your content. Jared, do you think Indian fans would be supportive of the team regardless of the result? How can we answer that? How do we know? A certain section of them will be, but a certain certain section of them won't be. Yeah, it's, you know, watching Indian fans over the last couple of years has been quite interesting because quite clearly, they have. I would say they've had the best team for a good period of time now, but they don't have a ring, right? They don't have a, a, a silver piece of thing to point at and go, where we're great. And I, I think there is this thing of, it wasn't that long ago that there was a guy who used to call Boomer a choker, right? Mm. Like if he's a choker, we don't, the, the word about this lost all meaning, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, calling the Indian team chokers, I, I don't think they were choking. I think they were playing the wrong style of cricket in, in tournaments. If they managed to lose this, let's be honest, that that whether they have choked or not, or Mitch Marsh just goes ballistic against them, or whoever it may be, or you know, Josh Inglis makes three hundred, right? Uh, that'd be funny, actually. But it, whatever happened, I do think this was the time when there was no real frailty all the way through. Whereas I think in the other World Cups, you could make a claim that India was a really good team at times. You could also make a claim that maybe another team was as good or better um, in mm-hmm. most of those tournaments. I don't think you can make that claim this time. If they don't win this at home, right, with the form that they have had, right, they should all book holidays a long way away from India, would be my guess. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure that is anywhere uh, far enough away from India. Isn't, it, there's, isn't that that great story of, I can't remember what it was, but Virat Kohli went on holiday to one of the most remote places on earth and went to have the breakfast his first day in his, in his you know, incredibly expensive villa and straight away like an Indian family came up to take a photo with him like there there is no hiding right and if they lose this game they are going to be tarnished with that brush but the truth is 1992 New Zealand 1983 West Indies 1999 South Africa we've seen incredible teams not win more cups before no Indian fan wants to hear that (laughs) yeah and I mean even if they do go on to lose this final 
there's some legends in this team and it doesn't take anything away from their own personal legacy and legend and all of that stuff. But people will say these things, right? Because I know how South Asian fans work. They'll be like, oh, this team did not win uh, silverware together and India haven't won an ICC trophy since the Champions Trophy 2013. So even though they are the best team and they do kind of deserve to win this World Cup, but that's sport, right? That's knockout cricket. It could happen that they lose. If they do lose this World Cup, does it not mean that Ishant Sharma is the greatest cricketer that I ever played for India? <laughs> yeah. Who else was there, right? Uh, no, no, Patel. there was no one else there. It was mm. Ishant Sharma on his own, bowling dirty drag downs in a gloomy weather at, where was I? Birmingham, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, mm. uh, I'm just saying, we just have to, all this praise of Virat and Rohit and, and Bumrah, I'm sorry, Ishant Sharma is the one true god if they don't win this World Cup. And if not, <laughs> I'm willing to share the honor, Vera and, and Ishan on the same level. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, quick predictions, Estelle. I mean, India, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Color of my cap, I'm going India as well. Jared. Yeah, I mean, look, if Australia win, I think something weird has happened, right? So it should be India. Well, let's see what happens then. Thank you for tuning into the Red Inca. We'll be back with more content soon. And yeah, that's all from us tonight. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapaya and Maida Akan, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.